also continuing from in Luke 10. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man went down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, Take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. While Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. If you have ever been a parent of a small child, or perhaps a small child yourself, you may be familiar with this kind of scenario. You're in your kitchen, uh, maybe you're chopping onions, maybe you have some kind of sauce on the stove that is about to boil over. And your small child comes into the kitchen 
and looks up at you and says, I am hungry. Can I have a cookie? And you look down at your small child and you say, what do you think? <laughs> and your child, perhaps having had this conversation with you before, says, no. <laughs> and then maybe your child says, but why? Why can't I have a cookie? And again, maybe you've had this conversation before. You say, well, because I'm making dinner. I'm in the middle of making dinner. And because you need to have healthy food before you have your treat. So go. <laughs> Get out of here. I bring this up because at the beginning of our scripture from Luke, we have what is identified as a legal expert who is said to be testing Jesus with questions. And sometimes when we think about this particular scripture, there is an antagonistic tone, a tone as if this man is somehow testing Jesus in a negative way. But I don't think that there's necessarily an antagonistic or a conflict-driven tone here. I say that because this legal expert, this man who is an expert in the Hebrew scriptures of the day as well as in applying rabbinical teachings at the time, asks two of the most important questions of all time, so I'm grateful to him for asking these questions. The first question is, what must I do to gain eternal life? And the other question is, who is my neighbor? Two really, really good questions. And if he is indeed a legal expert, an expert in the law who also applies rabbinical teachings, then he's just doing his job. Here is this new rabbi running around saying all of these things, and he is there to test him and ask him questions. So he asks Jesus, what must I do to gain or inherit eternal life? And in thinking about this question, this idea of eternal life, it can mean a life sometime in the future that goes on forever and ever and ever. can also mean a life lived inside of time, outside of time, and somehow beyond time, because time is a human invention. God is eternal. So it's a life lived with God that also has some of the qualities of God's life in it, mercy and compassion. So how do I possess a life now and always that has in it the qualities of God's life? 
So he asks Jesus this question, and Jesus turns it back on him, and Jesus says, well, what do you think? How do you interpret the scriptures? And our legal expert answers by putting together two Hebrew scriptures. He puts together Deuteronomy 6.5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And Leviticus 19.18, Love your neighbor as yourself. This legal expert pulls two laws out of the already existing Hebrew scriptures, two of the best that the Judaism of the time has to offer us and brings them together. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and also love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, good, yes, do that. But our our legal expert, he wants to go a little bit deeper. So he says, well, who is my neighbor? And my interpretation of that question is, he's asking, well, is my neighbor a stranger? Is my neighbor a person from a different country? Can my neighbor be from a different tribe or a different race? These were all things that were concerning to people at the time, but also make the news a lot now. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus, being Jesus, answers him with a parable. A parable so famous, it has its own name, the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's what we like to title it. And I would guess that there are at least a few of you in here who have heard this parable before. There are probably a few of you in here who could tell me this parable, even if you were sleeping. (laughs) But to summarize, there is a man, and he is on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and some thieves or bandits jump out at him. They strip him, they beat him, they toss him to the side of the road. I like to imagine there's a ditch there. They toss him on the side of the road. And he's laying there, and first a priest comes by, and the priest sees him and just crosses the other side of the road. Not a good day for this. And then here comes another guy, a Levite, another kind of religious official, and he also crosses to the side of the road because it is also not a good day for this for him. Then we have a Samaritan, a person of another tribe, who did not get along with the Jewish people of the time. They possibly were enemies. And he comes along, but he sees the man, and he stops. He is moved with compassion. He picks up the man, he cleans his wounds with oil and wine, and he wraps him up in bandages and puts him on his own donkey and takes him the nearest inn, and he pays the innkeeper to take care of this man for however long he needs to recover. 
And we like this man so much, the Samaritan, that we make him the hero of the story. Rightly so, I think. He is the hero in this story. But Jesus asks us a question, asks the legal expert a question after he tells this story. He says, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves puts us into the perspective of the man who encountered the thieves to figure out who the neighbor is. He doesn't ask which of these guys did the right thing. He says, which of these was a neighbor to the man who encountered the thieves? I think when we start with the perspective of this question, it flips the parable upside down a little bit. Because so often... When we ask the question, who is my neighbor, we take it from the perspective of the Good Samaritan. Who should I help when I want to figure out who my neighbor is? Who needs help? That's my neighbor. But the question is, who was the neighbor to the man who encountered the thieves? And if we're coming from that point of view, who is my neighbor, the answer is, who helped me? Who would I accept help from when I am in trouble? Because the man on the side of the road, the man in the ditch, accepted help from somebody who in regular daily life may have been an enemy or at minimum someone he probably would not have wanted to have contact with. But when we're looking from the perspective of being the person who is in need, our neighborhood widens. Who would we allow to help us when we are in trouble? A personal example of this is two Octobers ago, a knock came on on the door in the middle of the night under a normal circumstance, if somebody is knocking on my door in the middle of the night, my first instinct is going to be to call the police. But as we woke up and we heard the increasingly frantic knocks on the door and smelled smoke and looked outside and saw that all of the hills around us were on fire, we did not go through our normal, well, who is at the door right now? It is 1 o'clock. We need to call the police. This is crazy. And instead, we opened the door to strangers and we said, thank you, thank you so much for waking us up. If we start with that point of view, the point of view of the person in need changes how we approach others. So if we start from the point of view of the person looking down in the ditch with places to go and stuff to do, money in our pockets. It's easier to get into the thinking of, well, I see you down in the ditch. What did you do to get down there? Or, this is a bad neighborhood. I see you down there, but I'm going to just take off 
And I'll just send some help along after me. That's the point of view of the priest and the Levite. But if we start from the point of view of the man who encountered the thieves lying half dead on the side of the road, we start with looking up into a stranger's face and accepting help in a time of deep need. And that eliminates a lot of barriers we might otherwise have. Suddenly, barriers of race, barriers of class, barriers of gender, barriers of political ideologies fall away because we need and they are there to help. we take on the point of view of a vulnerable person, and who among us has not been sick? Who has not been broke? Who has not been afraid or grieving? All of us have been one of these things. Some of us have been all of these things. If we start from that point of view of remembering what that feels like, we are more likely to have the merciful and compassionate response to the other person, to the neighbor. This parable ends with the question, who was the neighbor to the man who encountered the thieves? the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus says, go and do likewise. And we can take that as go and be the one who shows mercy. We can also, because it's a parable, take it as go and try to absorb this whole parable and then do likewise. And then after this parable, we have this little story of Mary and Martha that's tacked on. And I thought for a while about whether or not it belonged in a, in a sermon about the man who encountered the thieves. Because it feels a little bit like we're switching gears. We're going to go from this man in the ditch to Mary and Martha. But I do think this story of Mary and Martha goes with the story of the Good Samaritan. I do think it has a related message because we have Jesus. He goes to another town with his disciples. He goes to Martha's house. Martha starts bustling around, getting preparations for a meal for him. She is showing hospitality. And Mary, being an annoying sister, (laughs) is sitting on the floor looking at Jesus while he talks. And Mary is going around doing all, or Martha is going around doing all her stuff to be ready. And uh, Mary is sitting there. So she, she goes to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. 
you are worried and distracted by many things, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better. It won't be taken from her. So how is this related to the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, if you remember, the answer to the question of how do I inherit eternal life was love the Lord your God, and then the second half was love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I think we hop over love the Lord your God and really like to get right into love your neighbor as yourself. I I don't know that we necessarily think that that's more important, but somehow it feels more urgent. We need to do the neighbor part urgent and pressing. And I think that's what Martha's doing. Here is Jesus at her house. She wants to show hospitality. She is going to prepare a nice meal for this man who is here, who she loves, who she wants to maybe impress. So she's going to do that. And I tell you that I have a real soft spot for Martha. Um, I think she gets a bad rap sometimes when people talk about Mary and Martha. And Martha just, if Jesus came to your house, (laughs) I think you might get in a tizzy too. I know I might start worrying what kind of food, did I have enough to make dinner? It's so natural. But I think what Jesus might be reminding us here is that Martha's worth and our worth is not determined by what we do what we have, how nice of a meal we can lay out. Mary has taken the first part first. Love the Lord your God. She is listening. She is taking in the teachings and putting first things first. Martha is busy. Perhaps she worries that her worth won't measure up if she doesn't provide the right hospitality. But our worth is not determined by what we do and what we have. And I think this is another place where it parallels or is in sync with the story of the Good Samaritan or the man who encountered thieves. Because the man who encountered thieves, half dead on the side of the road isn't doing anything. He's just laying there. You could walk by and ask, is he worthy of being rescued? How much did he contribute to society before somebody beat him and threw him on the side of the road? If I rescue him, is it really going to be worth it? Is he really going to give back after I rescue him? His worth is simply that he is a human being. When we take the view from the top of a ditch looking down in, it puts us in a position to ask the questions like, how much does this person contribute? Do they contribute enough human capital or are they a drain on our GDP? Do they give back? Are they worthy? But if we take the view of a vulnerable person, it changes us. 
when we take on the eyes of a person needing help, we start to understand better the perspective of a sick person who can't afford care, or a mother desperate for a better life for her children who will walk a thousand miles to get it. If eternal life in the kingdom of God is a life now and a life always with God that has something of the quality of God's life in it, something of the qualities of mercy and compassion, then isn't looking at people with eyes of mercy and compassion where we need to be? Isn't looking at people with eyes of mercy and compassion the way that God looks at us? As broken people who need help, as broken people in need of a savior. After all, that is the good news. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, that a Savior would come down among the vulnerable people and take on the perspective, take on the eyes of a person who suffers in order that we all may be lifted up. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. May it be so. Amen.